Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of Fitness Canner Podcast. I'm joined today by my friend Bill Andrews, and he's actually been on the podcast before, and uh, we talked a lot about um, get kind of more theory of, of exercise, theory of strength training in particular. So uh, he and I both kind of talked after that first podcast and wanted to get into how to put theory into practice, and there's really... Um, there's nobody else better I could think of to, to explain that. So uh, I think we're going to learn a lot about how you can take what he's actually saying and apply it to your exercise program or, or starting an exercise program. So that's going to be very helpful for everybody. So, Bill, thanks for joining us today. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, and I, I did enjoy not only doing uh, the podcast the last time, but then listening to it. <laughs> uh, oh, that good. Fellow, that <laughs> fellow you had on with you knew a thing or two. <laughs> yeah, no, he sounds like he did. <laughs> He's been yeah. around the block a couple and, times. Yeah, and, and we discuss a lot of history in that, uh, and then uh, some theory in that. So instead of uh, you know going back uh, uh, into time, and uh, what I wanted to do today was to maybe give uh, the listeners some ammunition they could do to put right into a workout even tomorrow. See, so uh, to yep. understand uh, theory leads you to be able to implement that theory. See. Right, right. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be good. Just like you say, it's it uh, it's putting the the things that we've talked about before, the the common sense behind it. You're going to get to. I think what we're going to get to talk about is uh, putting the knowledge, the science, into ap- practical application. Because I think people get kind of bogged down by one or the other. So, um, right. if you want to go ahead and just get us get us kicked off and uh, and uh, hop right into it. Yeah, uh, and and when we talk about science, um, modern uh, thinking uh, has people looking into research and studies that have been done and all that. A lot of what we need to do in the way of understanding theory and applying it to exercise is is common sense. Uh, it's uh, uh, self-evident truth uh, is a phrase uh, that I like. So. Uh, the the human body is the same now as it was 10,000 years ago, and uh, uh, there is not any science that has been developed since then that would make bodybuilding any more advanced than it was 10,000 years ago. It's just that nobody ever thought of the common sense. See, so right. I mean, it's amazing to me where they they cite these studies and 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 can't change. Uh, uh, their application without a study, see? So uh, we need to just understand how simple this is. So what yep. I want to do is now kind of list two areas of theory. you got to do some theory in order to set the groundwork, see? So that's what I'm going to do first. Okay. Perfect. Intensity. Most of us understand that there has to be uh, a emphasis on intensity of exercise in order to make progress, certainly in strength, but even in endurance and such. See, so most of us tend to relate intensity to the amount of weight lifted, and to some degree, the degree the exerciser approaches uh, uh, the effort at the point of momentary failure. And I've observed that you take a young 19, 20 year old guy who thinks he's training to real muscular failure, put another 10 years of experience behind him and see how many more reps or how, how, how much more effort he does. It takes time, time, time to truly reach that kind of intensity. But 
whether it's the weight or the effort towards the end of a muscular effort, it's just too simple a way of looking at intensity. We need to evaluate where in the range of motion, because you do uh, exercises through a range of motion, where in that range of motion the intensity is most important. And that's probably something most people never think of. I think I probably developed the understanding of that after uh, 10 or 15 years of training. I finally understood, and it happened to be uh, just uh, perhaps uh, five years or so before I ever met Arthur Jones, and he was right with it along with me there, see. so. When we look at how we emphasize the effort at, a, at the proper range of motion, we also find that we got to consider time as a factor in the exercise. So mm-hmm. I can cover I can cover both the issues of intensity and time, and I'm going to cover them in, 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 in two sections here. Okay, we all agree that all joint movements are rotational. Obviously, bicep curls, knee extension, those are obvious ones. Uh, some people would say, oh, a bench press or a pull-down is a straight-line movement. No, it's two joints. In that case, it would be the shoulder and the elbow, both of which are going through rotation, actual opposite to each other. See, So there's still rotational exercise. See? So if we call the muscle belly itself the motor of the movement, and then if the tendon that rotates the joint, we call that the cable, and that transmits the force through the joint, then we've got to call the joint a hinge. See, so we've right. got a motor, a cable, and a hinge. Analyzing muscular movement is really that simple. It's applied mechanics. It's no more, it's, it's no more anybody that can understand simple leverages will have a knowledge already of kinesiology. Kinesiology is a matter of mechanics first, and then it's somewhat complicated by neurophysiology, and I'm going to cover that here in about five minutes after I explain the mechanics. See. Yeah, and the mechanics, I think, is super important because, you know, like you said, understanding the purpose of the movement is going to help people better understand the function of what they're doing, the function of the exercise, um, even if it, even if it's not necessarily getting into the function of that muscle. So that's right. good. That's a good point. Okay, so uh, the same... I'm going to give a graphic example that applies to any exercise. Doesn't is not exercise specific. Any exercise you can think of. This example I'm going to give is germane to the discussion. Visualize 20 men grasping each other hand to hand in a long line. The first fellow in line is tied to a non-moving steel beam. The last guy in line is holding to the handle of a loaded shopping cart. Now. If we require five of those fellows, every fourth man, to pull the man next to him so that their shoulders touch, the line will shorten by the combined length of those five fellows that pull. If ten pull at once, the cart will be pulled twice as far. Fifteen, three times as far. You get the idea. Yep. Okay, so if somehow we were able to attach this line of linked men to a huge hinge, and and I think like a a, a big uh, gate, going into a pasture. Then we would okay. see that the hinge moved the furthest. It rotated the furthest. The, the, the gate rotated the furthest when more men or all of the men pulled. It would rotate further if five in, uh, if 10 instead of 5 pulled and more if 15 pulled. And if all 20 of them pulled, then the damn gate, gate would close all the way, see. Okay. Right. Applying this example, example directly to exercise clearly shows 
that own that, and this starts to become important here. So you know, I've been rambling on and on. Now it becomes important. Only in the part of the movement where the joint has rotated the furthest can the muscle be the most shortened, and only at that end range can the highest proportion of muscle fibers possibly be contracting. The conclusion right. is, and it stands to reason, it is self-evident truth, that the more time and effort we put into exercise toward or at full contraction, the greater the intensity of the exercise will be, the greater the benefit of the exercise will be. So this tells you kind of how to do, our example today is going to be curls. You already see the handwriting on the wall. We're going to emphasize effort towards the full bend of the elbow. And you could take okay. other examples of other exercises. See, the weight used during the exercise is secondary, or even a third tier consideration. In some cases, not even relevant. The weight right. becomes less relevant and even irrelevant. Okay, that's the simple mechanics. Now you get a little complexity here into the neurophysiology, and and and, and, and it kind of boggles the minds. Let's look at reps. Uh, well, I, let me stop here for for one yeah. second. I think what what you said, uh, you know, the weight really and the repetitions in terms of using mus- muscle muscular force. Uh, that when I talk to a client, they always ask me, you know, how many reps, and I'll give yeah. them a range, fifteen to twenty or twenty to thirty, and they're kind of like, what? Either or? I'm like, no. Let's see what you get, <laughs> and, and then we right. move on. So that's an important piece to hit on. Sorry for cutting yeah. you off. Oh no 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 no. Uh, I, I need to take a little drink of my uh, sports tea here. Uh, okay, reps. When we do reps, are we re- are we really doing reps, or are we engaged in something much more expansive, which I'm going to call time under load? I don't look at reps. I look at time under load. Looking at the neurophysiology of muscle contraction, we know that every muscle fiber contracts. Then it goes through a latency period of recovery, and then it contracts again. The number of times any given muscle fiber can contract varies from person to person, muscle to muscle, but it's, let's say, in the terms, in the neighborhood of 100,000 times a second. So if you're already dealing with 100,000 rotations of a muscle in a second, what the heck relationship does doing reps have to anything? And you also <laughs> got to, yeah, really. And you also got to consider that varying from muscle to muscle and person to person, there may be at any given time during an exercise 100,000 to 500,000 of individual muscle fibers contracting and relaxing and contracting again 100,000 times a second. Now, get a calculator out and figure that one out. It's not repetitions. It's time under load. It's a concept of time. It's time under load. My statement is exercise should not be recorded in reps. It should be recorded as time under load. And remember what we talked about there about five minutes ago. It's time under load. How much of the percentage of that time under load is at, near, or at least approaching full contraction? Right. Okay. Yep. Full okay. range of motion. Right. So, uh, uh, as I said once again, the, the the above analysis we've done, and we did it uh, a little quicker than I thought it might take. <laughs> I sort of kept to my yeah, what, original. What do you got in that teeth? Yeah. What do you have in that teeth? <laughs> yeah. But uh, what I'm going to do now 
is explain the most intensive way I know of exercising. And uh, I've I started exercising pretty darn intensely when I was 12 years old. I am now 72 years old. I have done every exercise there is under the sun for not days, weeks, months, and even years, decades. And I've done everything right, and I've done everything wrong. I started out by doing it all wrong. See, So I uh, during the, the last uh, of my competitive career, which was when I was 54, so now that's 18 years ago, I developed this way of training. And uh, I put out a warning right now. Most people do not need to train as intensely as I'm going to dictate right now. See, it's invariably true that the less trained an individual is, the less intensity is required to make gains from workout to workout. It's similarly true that the more advanced an individual becomes, the more intensity is required to continue making gains in strength and endurance. Right. Absolutely. And I, I even said that today to someone uh, who started their, their second workout, and it was much more intense than the very first workout, and I explained that, you know, you don't need to go, you don't need to jump an entire foot, I just need to take you an inch. Oh, and yeah. that, that that person who's going to be uh, just starting out a strength training program, they're going to yeah. see results in a much faster time than, you know, either yeah. you or I would. So that's Oh, and, and remember, has anybody ever come to you and looked you in the eye and said, Give me the second best abdominal exercise there is. No, they always oh, yeah. say. Oh, yeah. They always say, "What's the best stomach exercise I can do? What's the best arm exercise?" Mm-hmm. They never want. They never ask the second best. In fact, the matter is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, and 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 we've been addressing the concept of intensity and time under load here. Uh, a beginner doesn't need as much intensity or percentage of time under load as he will, you know, three months from now. He he will make physical gains at a certain predictable rate. He will cover every single increment in that uh, in 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 that uh, uh, graph when the proper level of intensity is applied to him. If you apply twice the intensity just because he's real gung ho, he won't gain any quicker. So it's actually going to be wasted. You don't have to give somebody the best exercise or the best rep pattern. That's what we're about to discuss here in a minute, Uh, my magical mystery tour here of rep patterns. Okay, it doesn't need that, see. So most people don't need as much as I'm about to say, but why not tell somebody what the Cadillac is first before they look at the lesser, see. Okay. Yeah. So this, uh, this combines... Uh, uh, a rep pattern, or we'll call it a set, that actually combines all typical styles of repetition. And here's a little review of that. You got regular reps, just where a guy grabs the weight and does the proper curl or overhead press without momentum, yada, yada, yada. Just regular reps, and he should go to or approach momentary muscular failure. Then you got forced assisted reps. That's where perhaps a training partner uh, forces the guy to get past the sticking point of the bench press and even helps uh, uh, the fellow do uh, one or two repetitions after he's momentarily failed. Those are forced right. assisted reps. Then you got negative accentuated reps. Arthur was the first one to talk about ne- negative accentuated. And in uh, your last uh, podcast, I think that was mentioned, uh, and, and we all know that uh, most muscles can lower, under control, there's the key word, lower 
40% more than it can raise. Now, I spent, right. I spent uh, two or three years going from negative accentuated to this my fourth style, which I'm going to say in a minute. And I, we determined that, yes, when you started doing negative accentuated reps, you had 40% greater ability to lower the weight than you could raise. That mm-hmm. built to at least 60%. When a fellow trained that way over a lengthy period of time, we became fantastically strong in the negative portion of the reps. See, so it starts out at 40%. It ends up higher than that. It ends up into an area of intensity that I then call hyper-negative. See, so first we had regular reps, then force-assisted, then negative accentuated, and now we got maximum negatives or what I call hyper-negatives. And this is the style of training that, that I, when I did it for over a year, I had never heard of anybody else ever doing this. And anybody who was doing it at that time, I'm not aware of it. That's intense. And I, I like going back up to the, the forced uh, assisted rep. Yeah. Um, when when I try to help some people yeah. on on the on exercise after they've already you know gotten to their own failure point, which is important yeah. to highlight, like we talked about, a person's own failure point. They some people get really like get pissed at me for trying to help them through another one. Well, let me get it on my own. Like you, you can't. It's not going to be possible. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm glad you're bringing that up because those forced negative, forced uh, assisted reps are are so important. Especially, it doesn't have to be the entire thing. Um, but you know, you get to that, let's just say, 12 to 15 repetition range, and yeah. if, you, if it might seem like you can get two more, then why not? Yeah. Why not well, at least try it with just a little bit. A little suggestion I have is based on experience and observation. If you assist so much that you accelerate the weight, or let, let's say, you know, everybody overemphasizes bench presses, but let's use the example of bench presses. If you accelerate the weight away from their hand, then right. they can't, they'll actually stop pushing, and it ruins their whole thing, see? So uh, some guys, when they give a fellow force-assisted reps, they get them at the sticking point, and they make them suffer, and, 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 and their eyeballs explode and stuff for 15 seconds at the sticking point. No, you don't do that. But you also don't take it so fast that it changes dramatically the rate of movement they were doing when they then required the force-assisted rep. So you got to be kind of at one with the fellow. One of the ways yes. to do that, especially when they're doing dumbbells, is not to touch the weight, but grab the fe- if he's doing dumbbell bench presses, grab a hold of his wrist about four inches below the weight and just push his body part up so that he feels the same pressure on the palm of his hand, it's kind of like a reflex thing. So then the guy won't get so mad at you because you didn't ruin the exercise. <laughs> right. It, it does, like you said, you gotta be you got to be in tune with that, and they got to know what the goal is, too. Yeah. So that's a good point. Okay, so everything we're going to describe uh, uh, now is in terms of perhaps having a training partner. When I trained this way for almost two years, I trained with two training partners. We just made sure that there was never a wasted second. One of us would do the exercise, then the other one get in, then the third one, and we just rotated, and it all went perfectly. It took exactly an hour uh, to do an upper body workout. By the way, at the highest level of intensity, we train once a week most of the time, and every once in a while we would try five days a week, or, or excuse me, once every five days in rotation, and we didn't get as good a workout. See, so when you're training at maximum intensity, you mm-hmm. must lower the amount of exercise you do, see. So right. 
uh, in all my descriptions, and, and fear not, oh listener, we're about to get down to the brass tags here. But when I discuss this, I'm going to mention how many seconds at each part of the movement because we've got to standardize the time under load at anywhere from, now we're going to lose half the audience now, from 60 to 120 seconds, depending upon the muscle involved and the trainee's general physical advancement. If you, my observation, 60 years of training with people, is that most people complete their exercise in less than 30 seconds. So the next time any any of our listeners go into the gym, they should put a stopwatch on 10 different people doing 10, F, 10 different exercises and see the evidence for yourself. They're going to average 30 seconds. That is not enough time under load to make maximum benefits. See, so right. anywhere, anywhere from 60 to 120. Notice I'm not saying how many reps to do, but inherent in that does come a rep range, see. Okay, yep. so we're going to do curls now. Before we actually start the curl, we know that we're not supposed, we, we need to avoid body heave, lifting the elbow. You know, when guys do curls, they lift the elbow forward towards the mirror. Right. All the pressure off the elbow. you got to keep the, I call down and back, keep the elbow down and back. In fact, when you curl the weight, if you were doing dumbbells, you should not be able to see. If you're looking straight ahead, the dumbbell should remain out of the line of sight. You've got your elbows down and back. At the top of the movement, you don't duck under. You don't use momentum. You don't do rebound at the bottom. What you do do is make sure you fully supinate the arm. See, so in any exercise, we could spend the next two hours saying, how do you do bench presses? How do you do squats? How do you do this and that? When you do curls, you've got to avoid body heave, elbow lift, ducking under, momentum, rebound, all that stuff. See, Okay. So, yep. here we go. Perform the curl. This is a single set of curls. Okay. First, you take a weight that you could normally do for six to eight reps. You're gonna, these are called the simple reps, reps with excellent form and slow movement. Only do four reps. You could do six to eight, but only do four. Okay. Immediately, there's no, no stop between this. The next four reps, which is reps five through eight, you put a 40% extra negative resistance against them. And you kind of got to, if it's a training partner, you got to have a little experience with each other. you got to understand what 40% is. If a guy is doing leg extensions, he can do it without a training partner. Just do the right leg only and put the extra load using the other one or uh, grab next to you and pull down on the weight stack. I do that when I do leg extension. The weight stack's right next to your right shoulder. So I pull down on it, see. So you do right. reps. Five through eight with a 40% extra negative, still eight-second round trip. See, so I didn't, on the first one, your four reps regular on your simple reps was eight seconds a round trip. No holes at the top, no rest at the bottom, eight reps. This next uh, next B level is four reps with 40% extra negative resistance. Okay. The next one is four reps with maximum negative resistance applied through the entire range of motion. There's a four-second hold at the very top. So you've done the curl. Remember, your elbows are down and back. You curl all the way up, and you hold it in that position for four seconds. And then at some point, you don't let it go. Your training partner overcomes your four-second hold and pulls you down. For eight seconds, you lower it, and you're fighting every inch of the way. By now, in fact, during the second four reps, you failed to be able to do positive lifting. So that's where you had to help the person lift. 
By now, there's no way in heck you're doing any positive lift at all. It's all negative. But what I found when I did this is I still had to maintain contact with the bar, so you try to have them at least try to keep up with the motion. They don't just, you know, give up completely. In fact, if they totally relax the muscles, they're not going to be able to hold that top four seconds, right? See? So right. the total time of each of these reps is 12 to 14 seconds because you're holding for four seconds at the top and you're lowering taking eight seconds, and then on the way up it's going to take an extra two seconds, although uh, the guy doesn't have to be present in the room to do the positive. You know, it's not going to be <laughs> Okay, now here's the, 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 the frosting on the cake. You've done 12 reps. You started with regular reps. You then went to 40% overload. Then you went, you went to maximum resistance on the downward movement and almost thrown in the towel on the positive. Now you do four reps of eight-second isometric contraction in the fully contracted position. So if uh, it's bicep curls, you fully flex your bicep. What I always found was impossible to fully, and, and under maximum flexion, I found it impossible to do, one, uh, to do both arms at once. I would just do one arm for eight seconds, then the other one, and, and just uh, as the one was starting to loosen, then get exhausted, the other, you know, switch to the other one. So you're doing four-second maximum isometric contraction. It's just about as beneficial as any of the other sets. It's definitely the frosting on the cake, but it's uh, uh, intensive uh, muscular contraction. That's the old... Uh, uh, Charles Atlas uh, 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 dynamic tension is an excellent way to train. See, so I always loved doing this uh, because the only mental uh, anguish was those four reps on the hypers. The, the regular reps, I was just setting the stage for the forty yep. percent overload. The forty percent overload was setting the stage for the maximums. The challenge of the set was just four reps. <laughs> and then, and then you did the isometric contractions. And because it's that maximum a contraction and that maximum muscular effort with the time under load being at or near full muscular contraction, only one set is necessary. In fact, if you did two sets, it would probably give you reverse gains. You know, it would be, wouldn't be good for you. Yep. Uh, well, and earlier, when I did this uh, uh, type training, once every five to seven days was all I needed to do. All I could. All, I never believed from the time I was a young fellow, and I started out doing uh, three full body workouts uh, a week. Then within a year, I was to a, a double split where I would do upper uh, uh, two days and lower two days. And within four or five years, I was doing a triple split where it took me like eight days to get through the whole body because I was, I was doing upper body pushing exercises, upper body pulling, and legs. See, so I fell into the idea that I was definitely training more intensely, had to train less, and how did I know that? I trained alone. Remember back then, there was nobody else to train with. I made sure that I never left the gym without having the best workout of my life and that was measured in terms of performance and how I felt. If I lifted, uh, and, and I was still hung up on the heaviness of the weights, if I lifted heavier weights and more repetitions and, and, and felt I had gotten that deep, right down to the bone muscular contraction, that was a, a great workout. 
And I couldn't continue to train three times a week and achieve that. I couldn't train uh, just a two-way split. It had to be a three-way split, see. So what I just uh, spent uh, several minutes going over is my uh, four reps at four different levels of things. Every five to seven days, that's all I could tolerate. Once again, most people don't need to train that intensely. Right, 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 right. And that's um but the the key there is if you if you're training to to your in intensive in necessarily intensity, um that time off, that rest period is where you get all of the gains from that super hard workout. Whatever that hard workout looks like. Yeah. And you can do other things too. Now uh some of your other guests pointed out correctly that you can get uh, cardio training by resistive training. In fact, right. I have never, ever, ever in my whole life done any cardio training. At one time, I did a lot of circuit training when we first got the Nautilus and, and was able to do hellacious. I think uh, in a 22-minute period, did over 110,000 foot-pounds of work and keeping the pulse rate, I was like 27 years old at the time, keeping the pulse rate up at like 180 the whole time, see? So, yeah. Yeah. You know, if it didn't yeah. kill me then, it made me healthy, see? Right, but, exactly. Uh, yep. Uh, I, I, I've stipulated that one set is all you need. Um, most body areas require two exercises. Uh, for instance, the barbell, barbell or dumbbell curls. There's only two kinds of curls. You, you, most people would sit and they could write down ten different kinds of curls. You know, no, there's only two. There's one with the weight in line with your 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 upright body, whether you're doing barbell curls or uh, dumbbell curls both together or alternate or pulley curls, what have you. It's a curl that gets the short head of your bicep uh, and, and tends. To a lot of bodybuilders think it gives them thickness in the bicep and all that, you know. Uh, by the way, all these muscle fibers contribute throughout the full range of motion, but remember the highest percentage of them in the fully contracted position. See? Right. So many different curls are actually just one curl. The only other kind of curl is laying on an incline at about a 45-degree angle with the dumbbell and pulling it up to the shoulder without raising the elbows, or doing rear pulley curls where you reach in back of you and grab the floor pulley and pull it up, keeping your elbow so far back that it's almost behind your spine. That gets the long head of the bicep. There is no justification for doing standing barbell curls, then dumbbell curls, then pulley curls, all of them with your elbow and the weight in front of you. It's You just duplicating what you already did and ignoring right. the long head. Same yeah. thing yeah. With, with bench presses. There's only two kinds of bench or chest presses. There's inclines, which get the clavicular head of your pecs, and there's declines, that gets the sternal head of your pecs. There's only two kinds of bench presses. And it doesn't matter whether you're doing it with barbells, cables, what have you. It's a different style. Yes, gets slightly different emphasis on the muscle, but you've got the... Upper clavicular head and the lower sternal head. Uh, deltoids, you got front deltoids and lateral deltoids. So you need to do two shoulder exercises. Quads, uh, you need to do knee extensions and lay back, laid way back so you get the rectus femoris up near the top. See, So you could go to almost every body part and you could show where that body part has two 
muscle heads, basically. The quadriceps have four, but still it's kind of divided into two. Uh, upright, regular leg extensions, and laid back. See? So, uh, yes, one set per exercise, but probably two sets of uh, two exercises per body part. See? Okay, I got you. There was a discussion uh, with you all about, um, uh, I think it was last podcast, about uh, uh, physical therapists and such uh, saying that leg extensions were no good. Now, I, I'm, I'm done with my discussion for the day. You, you can refer back to that in a minute, but this just uh, come into my mind. I wanted to make the comment. Uh, I am pretty darn sure what that's about is the prevalence of uh, maltracking of the patella, especially in females, and roughness under the kneecap when you uh, do full range, that is the bottom half of the movement, you get a roughness of that. So what you've got to do in those cases, and, and you, what I do is when I get somebody in here, I put my ear right down within a half inch of their kneecap and I listen. They may not even feel it, but if I hear this, right, yeah, and I don't have them do the bottom half. Okay. The other, so so that's one reason why doctors, uh, orthopedic surgeons, and therapists, the, the therapist would be the one to recognize that most surgeons know how to do surgery, but they don't know anything about exercise. <laughs> you know, that's one reason. The other one is with an anterior cruciate ligament injury. The top, I just now said why you wouldn't do the bottom third of the movement. The top third of the movement... When you fully extend, if that's a new graph, it puts a backwards pressure on the upper part of the tibia and can overstretch, or if you did a violent movement, could actually snap that surgery loose. So you simply must not do leg extensions in the top third of the movement with anybody who's had a recent, that's within six to nine months, ACL repair. So, see, if you've ha- if you've run across a lot of people saying, oh, no, don't do leg extensions, it's because of those two reasons. They may have heard secondhand or something that that was bad. Yeah, they probably did. Um, oh, they, they definitely did. I think a lot of people get that confused. And if, now, if somebody comes in and they already have a knee, knee issue, then definitely I'm keeping them off that. I mean, there's, there's yeah. you know, no, no doubt about it. There's other ways to work oh, that. Oh, you, you can do 10-second holds. When there's no right. movement, there can be no harm. You could do 10-second holds where there's no movement, there could be no harm. But then right. if it was a if it was a old ACL, you could do 10-second uh, holds just alternating. You, you lift the weight up with both legs and, and then hold with one leg for uh, 10 seconds, hold with the other one, go back and forth till you've done like 120 seconds total. See, Okay, that's not going to hurt anything. If it's a new surgery, they shouldn't be in with you. They should be with a therapist. Trouble is... Most therapists don't know as much about exercise as you do, so we got right. kind of a, a, a problem there. See, and that's but, the uh, that's the issue. It's the blanket statement of leg extensions are bad. Don't do them. You know, yeah. it's just like it's just like when somebody came out not that long ago saying uh, maybe you saw I think it was like the New York Times or something about uh, uh, sit-ups being all the worst exercise of all time. Yeah. Do I think all people should do leg extensions? No. Do I think all people should do sit-ups? No. Do I think all people should do every kind of exercise? Absolutely not. But yeah. person, per, but person to person, every case is going to vary. I think, 
I think it's just that, that big blanket statement that we have to be, you know, what's right for that individual? Can an individual do it correctly, number one, without pain? And, yeah. uh, and if, you know, and there's a difference between pain and discomfort. You know, a lot of people, a lot of my clients will tell me, you, you know, make me pain, take me through painful movements every day. Well, they're uncomfortable. They're not yeah. painful. But, um, but that's yeah. a whole other topic. Uh, getting, uh, back, and this goes back in history a little. So now we got uh, one of my history lessons. In 1969, when I was athletic trainer at Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York, a guest lecturer came. I was t- teaching the athletic training program. His name was uh, Carl Klein. He's the fellow that wrote a book about knees, and uh, it was like the Bible for people who said full squats are no good for you. And the, the studies showed that it stretched out the medial collateral ligaments and caused all sorts of trouble, see. So after he gives this lecture, I go up to him. And, and of course, I knew that properly done, squats are the, one of the best exercises you can do. And I says to him, what about this study? He says, this was a study. That he looked at me and he says, what they say is total misinterpretation of what I said. And yet, from the time I was like a, uh, oh my goodness, a freshman or a sophomore in high school, my coaches told me, don't do squats, they destroy knees. Right. Dr. Klein, this Dr. Klein says to me, it was a study done on Olympic weightlifters who go yeah. down. You know what they look like when they do a snatch or a clean and jerk? How far right. down they go where their ass touched the ground? That's yeah. what the study was. The study was on people who, by the very nature of having to get low under the weight, on purpose stretch their medial collateral ligaments. They actually would go down and have people jump on them and push them down and push them down and push them down to where they could actually get their butt within two inches of the ground. That's what the study was about. It was not about people doing bodybuilding squats. It was total misinterpretation. And for another 15 years after that, and by this time I had worked with Dr. Allman in Atlanta, who at that time was doing the most knees in the whole country, uh, he understood that that was a misinterpretation. But you still would go to athletic training uh, seminars and hear people saying you shouldn't do squats. See, once a misunderstanding occurs, whether it be about physical exercise or even politics or economics, it's hard to get rid of that misunderstanding. Yeah, becomes institutionalized. Yeah, and you get you get people who just repeat it so often and often and often, and you think to yourself, "Well, this, first of all, that obviously was taken out of context. Where was the context applied?" And I, I, it almost makes me think that maybe the people that completely stopped it altogether, maybe they were already questioning it or didn't know how to instruct to do a proper squat in the first place. Yeah, and remember you know, remember now the type of muscle tissue involved with the legs would require, if you're going to do them uh, tissue-specific, would require 100, and, 100 to 120 seconds of continuous controlled squats, not six reps done in the next 25 seconds. So right, if yeah. you make people do squats properly... Uh, it takes a hero to do. The only workouts I ever, I would sit and my heart would flutter and I would say, oh my God, I got to get ready, I got to get ready, was a lower body exercise. I never had the slightest anxiety over doing any upper body exercise. Doing squats, power cleans, deadlifts, stuff like that, that that takes a man to do those. It takes nothing to do upper body exercise. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's funny because it, but, you know, everybody hates doing lower body exercises, especially when you do them right. But I remember when, uh, 
me and my one of my training partners, Aaron, we were were doing slow training. And the first two exercises, we went from uh, leg extensions to uh, leg press, and it was everything I had just to get started doing leg extensions or leg press. And as soon as that work was over, we'd go right to the pullover machine, and I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Thank you. you know, the pullover machine. The pullover machine is hard doing slow. It's super hard. Well, it's nothing compared to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and kind of going back here and 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 uh, putting a, a bow on this thing, uh, yep. I would just suggest that uh, some of the people listening to this might pick two or three uh, exercises they want to do. Whether they use a training partner or actually, you could do pull downs on a machine. Not uh, you could do uh, one arm pull downs using a, the dumbbell handle rather than the long bar, and you could give yourself your uh, little negative overload, your force-assisted reps, and even maximum negative. How you do maximum negative in a pull-down is you pull it down, then you put your hand on that uh, dumbbell handle uh, and push up so you're actually wrestling against yourself. It's a little harder to do. Easier to do right. in a, a seated press if you're on a press machine you can press up with the one arm, then reach up and do a pull-down on the other seat. So you can train with a training partner or by yourself. Just take two or three exercises. Do the, my rep pattern, remember, was four regular reps with a weight you could use six to eight with. Then do four still regular reps with a 40% overload. Realize by the second rep of that, which is actually rep number six, you're not going to be able to lift the weight anymore, so you're going to have to have uh, assistance. Okay, then yeah. the last four is hyper-negatives, and then the final four, bringing you up to 16 reps, is flexing your muscles as hard as you can like a bodybuilder does. And by the way, the day or two after I would compete in a bodybuilding contest, I would be sore, not as sore, but sore all over my whole body than I ever got by lifting weights. See, so... Uh, if you can really exert on those extra four, that's the frosting on the cake, see. So I would just suggest uh, that you have people try that and warn them to back off a little bit on the intensity of the hypers. That's the third set of four. And yep. the muscle contraction, see. And uh, if, if they want to do that uh, and they're not really advanced uh, uh, trainees, Maybe once a month, try it and see whether right. you're growing into it. See whether you're growing into it. A uh, little difficult to do it, by the way, in things like leg presses. <laughs> oh, my hard God. To do it in leg. Yeah. Oh. We used yeah. to have... Oh. Yeah, that well, makes me we... sick to my stomach thinking about it. <laughs> well, we, we did it, though. We would have four people around. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd have exactly. uh, uh, two on each side helping the guy do the actual positive side. Uh, of course, the one guy counted, you know, he's he's laying there doing it. And then uh, one on each side uh, lifting and pushing down, and then like a 240-pound guy up on top, on a like a uh, almost like a stepladder, putting his extra weight on. We had Mike Neese, my uh, training partner. Uh, uh, when he first came to work for me, he weighed 286 pounds. He had pay, played arena ball. He built himself up to 370 pounds. On, the leg, on the leg press... He was able to take 1,200 pounds and, on, on the negative reps, take 
one guy on each side, around 200 pounds, pushing down almost as hard as they could with a 240-pound guy on the weight stack. So it's 1,200 plus 240 plus probably 150 on each side. This gets up around 1,800 pounds. Okay, now comes the punchline. One leg. Stop it. One leg. That what? Tra- that's after training with with this system, three hundred six foot three. Uh, he's a he won thirteen straight Highland Games, uh, the Scottish Games championships, and he holds a, a couple world records. Uh, yeah, I hope uh, so. <laughs> in like eighteen nineteen hundred pounds. Of course, that dissipated by the you know a few reps, but one leg. One leg. With two legs, you stand there and just grin at you and, and, and just throw people, the guy up on top of the thing, throw them across the room. You know, so, I mean, the potential, once people unleash that potential, uh. is there. Ninety percent of people don't need to train this intensely, but having the knowledge maybe helps you to train at a lower level. And remember, those, yeah, people, yeah, yeah. those people at the lower level need not feel they're shortchanging themselves because they can only grow a certain amount at a certain right. time. You have weighed, how much do you weigh now? Uh, myself, well, 190. Okay. You have weighed 180, you have weighed 160, you have weighed, weighed 140, you weighed 110, you have weighed right. uh, 100 pounds, you weighed 100 pounds in two ounces, you weighed 100 pounds in three ounces. We could put it down to almost grams. You have weighed every bit there is. Your muscular girth on all your muscles have hit every increment. Your ability to lift any weight has lifted every increment. You never skipped an increment. See, so getting back, nobody has. Everybody grows in a straight line and will grow in the same straight line regardless of the techniques they use in their training. So don't, in in the case of you being a personal trainer, don't expose people to more than they really need. Right. But, but let them know how to do it, you know. Right. No, that's that's super important. And I'm glad that you said, uh, you explained to everybody that it's, you know, don't feel like you're shortchanging yeah. yourself. You know, even if you don't train this way, at least you have the knowledge now to say, hey, I know, I know what a super hard workout is to myself. I know how to yeah. perform a super work, hard workout. Hey, I, I, got, I, I got a treat for you. I'm looking through the window of my office. Mike. And Mike Nice just came in, this guy I told you about. Let him come oh, in no and way. say hello to you. Come on okay. in. Come on in here. <laughs> Mike, I, I do a podcast with this Eric Fiegel, and I was just telling him about your ridiculous 1,500-pound one-legged leg presses and all this bullshit. Just say hi to him, and you're glad to talk to him. You don't need to give a lecture here. <laughs> hello, Eric. This is Mike. Hey. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. I hear you're a one-legged freak. Say goodbye for me. Okay, okay, I can do that. Sir, you say you hear yeah. what? I hear you're a one-leg one leg freak. I'm a freak. <laughs> I don't know about the one-leg thing, but I am a freak. <laughs> but he well, created it. Thanks for hopping on. That's uh, that's pretty pretty funny. You got really excited. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we, uh, we we have a lot of history together, and uh, he introduced me to some pretty unconventional ways of training. And uh, yeah, I've stuck with it. Um, gravity's getting a little heavier as I get older, but I uh, still train and, and and love it. And Bill was uh, a lot of inspiration for what a lot of a lot of things that I do. That's great. That's awesome. He's been uh, he's been nothing but a benefit to the podcast and helping people learn proper strength training and 
Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the whole, the whole yeah. point is to do it right. He's a wealth of information, I promise you. Unbelievable, and he's a great storyteller. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, but he's got stories. <laughs> uh, we worked together for close to 10 years, so I've heard some of them more than once, believe it or not. Uh, that's okay. That's all <laughs> yeah, right. It's all good. It's all good. It is, but well, uh, very nice talking to you, and Bill said for me to, to uh, tell you bye for him. Okay, that sounds great. We'll tell him that I we appreciate the time, and thanks for helping on with this. All right, I will do it. Thank All right, you. take care. All right, bye. Bye-bye.